Hey guys, we're going to talk about a couple of different topics. Ironically, they all kind of wind together and are a little bit interrelated, but I'm just going to go through some of the top news stories over the last week and give you my take on it and how I see just biblical prophecy laying over the things that are happening in the world. So let's check it out. This is the Gaining My Perspective podcast, and you're hanging here with me, Wendy Cunningham. You're here to get empowered, inspired, informed, and encouraged as we navigate the everyday journey of this crazy life. Stick around, because we're going to laugh, and we're going to learn. And above all else, we're going to gain perspective. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, today we are going to jump around. There's not one specific topic that I felt compelled to talk about, but a couple of little topics that are at the, you know, top of the news cycle, if you will, that I wanted to touch on and dive a little bit deeper into. And of course, I love to hear from you guys. If you email me at wendycunningham at protonmail.com, I would love to talk about what you want to listen to. I want to research and educate people on what they're confused about. It could be a, you know, cultural news topic. It could be a concept of government. It could be like break down the three branches of government, something like that. Whatever interests you or you feel like you need some clarity on, I love to explain those sorts of things and answer those kinds of questions. So please, please always feel free And if you hate what I talk about, if you disagree, I want to hear that too. So please email me. I just want um, to engage with you guys and give you content that is serving your life. Okay. First of all, I know it's a little bit off the news cycle as of this week, um, which is hilarious because it's super important and very relevant, is our potential um, new Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, right, Uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson, and um, this was circling big time last week at the end of last week and into the beginning of this week with some of her comments in the Senate hearings about whether or not she's going to be confirmed as a Supreme Court Justice, and I just want to, like, explain the weight of this. First of all, yes, I absolutely believe that Judge Breyer is stepping down on purpose because he's old and he was given the little tap on the shoulder that you need to make space while we have Biden in the presidency because the president gets to nominate the justice if the justice, if somebody dies or if there's need for an appointment and, you know, if somebody retires Then whoever is the president gets to nominate and then the Senate does a hearing where they get to interview this person and question them and decide whether or not they want to confirm this uh, nominee into the Supreme Court justice. So there's a lot of weight here because when you get on as a justice of the Supreme Court, it is a lifetime appointment. So Katanji, if she is 
seated on the Supreme Court, it will be for the rest of her life or until she decides or gets the tap to step down. So this is, there's a lot of weight because she, you know, this is the the Supreme Court, the law of the land. This is the third branch of government, the judicial branch that interprets the law, the law according to the constitution, or at least that's what it used to be. That's what it was. That was the founders, I, you know, plan for the Supreme Court was that it would help define the constitution in a legal way, right? Like how do these laws, are they constitutional? Are they not constitutional? The laws that are coming out of Congress, which Congress consists of the Senate and the House of Representatives, those two houses together are Congress, and that's the legislative branch of government. Then we have the executive branch, that would being the third branch, that's the president. Okay, so there you got a little bonus lesson on the three branches of government. The judicial branch, the Supreme Court, the executive branch, which is the president, and then the legislative branch, which is Congress, which is the House of Representatives and the Senate together, which are two separate houses, okay? Congress's main job is to create laws and the judicial branch is to make sure that those laws are constitutional and interpret them through the language of the Constitution, which is tricky because there's a lot of opinion involved in that. You know, interpretation is to say that, well, I interpret it this way and I interpret it that way, which is why it's so important that these people are actually of sound mind. They're meant to be unbiased. They're actually meant to be independent voters, right? They're not meant to be registered Republicans or registered Democrats. They're meant to be in the middle. They're meant to be unbiased. So obviously that's out the window with a lot of our justices, okay? It's not, I'm not being specifically, I'm not trying to specifically pick on Katanji. But obviously, she is very much, she is a registered Democrat. She is, you know, very, very left wing. She is not middle of the road. She is not unbiased by any stretch of the imagination. So that's a dangerous appointment, especially coming from a president who ran on the premise of uniting our country and being middle of the road. Obviously, as soon as he took the office, as so many politicians do, he bailed on everything he said while he was running whatever. So Katanji is now being talked about quite a lot because in her hearings, it was revealed that she was very, very lenient on her judgments of specifically pedophiles or people who were in a um, situation where they were with an underaged person having sexual relations and such. And she was very lenient, more lenient than the law would suggest. And so I believe she has only ruled in about 100 cases, which is really remarkable given the fact that this is going to be a lifetime appointment. I really would love to have way more of her record to look at, (laughs) right? 100 cases or so is not that many. And she is young, which again, this is brilliant if you're looking for um, appointing somebody for a lifetime term, you want to get a young person in there, right? Now, on the flip side, with the presidency as an example, Joe Biden being our oldest president, oftentimes presidents are in their 60s and 70s. It's it's unusual that we would have a president in their 40s, although we have had. It's, you know, it used to be thought that you really don't have enough experience yet. You really cannot hold this office effectively because your life 
experience is limited. And I think there's truth in that. I also think that, you know, the Bible is clear that it's not our age that determines our wisdom, obviously. So, you know, it, I, I, I'm not going to pick on that too much, but it is interesting that she's very young and inexperienced, even in her own field. And the experience we do have to look at shows that she is very lenient to people who have broken the law. Now, another issue is she was unable, this is the big one, she was unable to define what a woman is. Senator Blackburn from good old Tennessee, she asked her if she could define a woman and she couldn't define a woman, which let's just pause right there. She went on to say more as we know, and I'll go there in a sec. She couldn't define a woman. That's really tricky given the fact that you need to interpret the law and you need to have an understanding of basic concepts and definitions like what is a woman, what is a man, because there are laws that have to do with those sorts of things. And if she's going to be interpreting that language and cannot even offer up a definition for a woman, I would venture to ask who offers, you know, who gives you the definition and is that something that can change? Because that's going to change the way that you interpret the law over time and it's going to create inconsistencies and it's going to essentially erode the whole, the whole thing, which I wonder if that's not the point, (laughs) if that's not the whole point, right? So yes, for one, I do have an issue that she cannot define something as simple and understandable as what is a woman. It's the irony is that you were chosen as the nominee based on the fact that you are a woman and you are an African-American woman. And I don't mean to poke at that like arbitrarily. That's what Biden said when he was running. If he has the opportunity to appoint a justice to the Supreme Court, he will appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. Well, that's great in theory. We have a black man on the Supreme Court. He's actually my very favorite of the Supreme Court justices. You'll be surprised to know. But I would personally be offended if the only reason I was chosen to be considered for such a job is because of my skin color and my gender, which are two things I will just go so far as to say I cannot change. I know others would argue you can change your gender. I do not believe you can. So it would be offensive to me that that would be the reason I would be chosen, the main criteria that I would be chosen. But let me just break it down. There are 13% of the entire population of the United States is African-American, which leaves us about 6% of the entire population of the United States. The United States is a black woman. Then we have, I don't even know how many percent of black women are judges, but we are down to a very, very narrow few. So if that is the pool from which we are choosing, it's a very, very limited pool. I personally would rather be chosen because I am the very best, because I my record speaks for me. My reputation goes before me, precedes me. I would not want to be chosen because it is from the just shallowest of shallow pools, okay? Lifetime appointment interpreting the Constitution, deciding the laws that will then be precedent for all other court cases to come after. This is a very big deal. She goes on to say that she cannot, uh, she can't define a woman because she is not a biologist, okay? 
this is actually speaks to something much greater than just her, you know, being an idiot, which I think that is just an idiotic statement, but that's not actually the root of the issue. The root of the issue is authoritarianism. To defer to experts is a mechanism of control commonly used in authoritarian regimes in the past, okay? To have to refer to an expert. We saw this with COVID. Fauci is the expert. We refer to the science. We follow the science. You're an idiot. Wear your mask. Look at the science. You're an idiot. Get your jab. Look at the science, right? We can create confusion. We can create a lack of confidence. We can create shame, which is a a tremendous controlling mechanism, shame. The difference between guilt And shame is important. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. (laughs) Going down to the root of what we can and cannot change. If I did something wrong, I can change that. If I am wrong, I can't change that. Shame is so, so damaging to the psyche. It is such a controlling mechanism. And this is, you can go on to, I'll just say, be careful with shame in your parenting specifically. Because shame shapes people. Shame shapes people and authoritarians know that power hungry people know that. So if we can create confusion and we can create shame and we can make sure that no one feels confident answering simple questions, challenging simple narratives like, why do I have to wear a mask when I walk into a restaurant? But if I sit down, I no longer have to wear a mask. These sorts of questions, which seem like obvious inconsistencies, you're not going to challenge. You're not going to challenge because the experts say, because science says, right? This is classic authoritarianism. So her deferring to an expert, a biologist, is totally on purpose and totally demonstrative of her actual thoughts and feelings about the Constitution, the rule of law, and the freedom of the people over which she would be ruling, right, in a certain capacity. So when you have a lack of confidence, nobody's going to stand up, nobody's going to push back. When you have people that are confused, people that are feeling shame, you have a ton of fear and with fear comes control. Let me just reference the COVID pandemic to as a, (laughs) a case study of how this is true, right? So we will have, if she is confirmed, and I do believe she will, she will be, an activist, not a judge, not an unbiased authority, an activist as a lifetime appointment to the highest court of the land. This is crazy. This is crazy, you guys. So there's a lot of weight here. Pray into that. Pray for intercession in the spirit. Contact your Congress people, your senators specifically from your states. Make sure that they are not voting to confirm this person, not because we're racist. Again, this is a, a another tool used against. You're racist if you don't want her. No, that's actually not why I don't want her on the Supreme Court. Okay, let's move on to our friend Will Smith and his little slappity slap. I just want to talk about it very briefly, very briefly, and I hope we never talk about it again. Because yes, I do believe it is fake. Yes, I do believe it was staged. When I first saw it, I did not think that. At at first, I was just like, what on earth? It confused me. I don't know Will Smith to act that way. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith are in an open marriage, which is to say they're free to do whoever they want, whenever they want. That's not a marriage. (laughs) I'm like, that's actually called dating. You should have just stopped at dating, perfectly allowed to date and 
not, you know, tarnish the word marriage with that sort of garbage. Will Smith does not, he's not standing on, you know, up for the character of his wife. Come on. It confused me why that happened. And then I started to put together some of the other pieces. Pfizer sponsored the uh, Oscars. Nobody watched the Oscars. I used to be an actor and I used to be somebody who watched the Oscars as a an event. We would make snacks for dinner, which is my fourth favorite food. And we would all, you know, we would print out our little sheets. And my husband had to do this. He hated it. And you have to guess who do you think is going to be the winner. And then we would score up at the end and see who, who won the Oscars, right? It used to be an event. I used to watch it. I couldn't honestly say I had no idea it was even happening. I am so uninterested in that. I am so uninterested in the fakeness of the world, in the wokeness of the world, in that culture, in that movement. I'm just over it. I'm over it. I'm over it. I hope I I just do not want to support Hollywood anymore. There are a bunch of liars and fakers, and here we are, a perfect example. Why did that happen? Yes, Pfizer sponsored the Oscars. So to draw attention to the Oscars and to Pfizer is a double whammy, win-win. Pfizer also, again, this is a stretch, but I'll go with it. Pfizer's new drug is an alopecia drug. It's an mRNA treatment from what I understand. And it's really funny that Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pickett Smith having alopecia when Pfizer, who sponsored the Oscars, is about to come out with a drug to treat the thing that Will Will Smith then slapped him for making a joke about. I mean, it's just like, come on. But what I really think it was all about is distraction. I almost feel my husband said said this to me so long ago, and I, I did not believe him then, but I totally believe him now. I believe there's things that come through our culture just as like a, a finger on the pulse from the elites to see how much control they have over all of us, to see how much influence they have over all of us. Obviously, things like COVID were huge examples of that. But things like the crazy skinny je- skinny jeans on men, demasculization of men, in specifically in fashion, how that started to happen, I, you know, some of those trends where I'm like, why on earth is that person wearing that? And now I know it's also because I'm old and I remember my mom asking the same questions. Why are those people wearing those things? So I do recognize that it's, you know, that's like a cycle and I'm old and so I'm going to ask that question. But there's certain things that I'm like, why is this happening in the culture? Why are people doing those things? Oh, I think it's to see how far, if, if something is introduced into culture, how much people will take it and run with it. And this is a perfect example. If Will Smith smacks Chris Rock on TV, I wonder how many people we can get to talk about that and to not talk about Ukraine for a minute, which we cared so very much about last week, or to not look at the inflation or the food shortages or, you know, Biden slipping slipping dementia mind. Um, And here we are. Here we are. It just absolutely dominated all the podcasts were about it. The news cycle, Will Smith slaps. Now, let's also keep in mind, and this was the first thing that came to mind, if Donald Trump Jr. went and slapped any person, not even on live TV, but slapped him, I don't know, in the grocery store, do you think that it would be the way, do you think the narrative would be going the way that it's going? Or do you think he would be arrested held without bail, January 6th prisoner style? Yes, I do believe that, 100%. I mean, I even heard commentary saying that Will Smith is an example 
of Trump culture, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, Will Smith smacking Chris Rock is, is Trump's fault. <laughs> it's, it's really remarkable how far people will go to blame every single thing on Trump. I think it's great and hilarious. But the reality is, if this were a conservative actor, or if there is such a thing, a conservative person who did something like this, it would not be going the same way. They would not then turn around and win the award for best actor, not have to give it back, not leave the Oscars, not be arrested, not have charges pressed against them. Just there's a, a crazy bias happening in this country. And if y'all aren't seeing it, like wake up because as I've said before, the tables can and likely will turn. And I don't think that that is right either. I don't think the bias should be moving the other direction, just like I think I don't think that the answer to racism is reverse racism. Like That doesn't make any sense to me. But I do believe when you allow it to happen to your enemy, it will happen to you in time. And there will be nobody to lift a finger or to speak a word against it if you're not the first to speak when you're on the side that is doing the oppressing, okay? That's all I'm going to say about Will Smith. Let's talk about Disney. <laughs> this is a heartbreaker for me, guys. I love Disney. I love Disney World, okay? I love Disneyland. I have gone to... My third child went to Disneyland two times before he was one years old. I am that person. I used to have a pass... I love the princesses. I'm totally okay with gender roles being, you know, exploited in a kid's movie. I'm sorry. I'll be that person. I totally realize that more and more Disney has moved in just this radical direction. And it breaks my heart because I think it's a magical place. I do. But it's no longer that place. And we have to be willing to be people of principle and not just people of preference or people of comfort. I would love to go to Disney next year for my 40th birthday. Yes, I might have been a person who would choose to go to Disney for my 40th birthday. Yes, but I can't do it. I can't do it. And I invite you all to stop doing it. I invite you guys to stop doing it. I actually emailed Disney yesterday and said, you know, expressed my feelings and told them just that, that I was planning a trip. I was hoping to plan a trip. I have spent, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of dollars over my lifetime on your products. I'm not doing it anymore. First of all, there's no need for you to be a political corporations in general no need for corporations to be political. It's a mechanism of fascism as defined by Mussolini, who was the original fascist. This is not my opinion. When corporations become political and start to weaponize against the populace in alignment with the government overreach, it's fascism. For all you Antifa folks, there you go. We thought it was Trump. It's not Trump, turns out. It's Disney. <laughs> it's Disney. It's like legit fascism. So the issue with Disney is they are coming out and they have made a statement that as a company, their mission is to have this law, this Florida state law, Florida state law, it's, it's called like the Parental Rights Act or something, I forget, I should have looked it up. It's been renamed to the Don't Say Gay Act. That is not an accurate depiction. That is a mechanism of like a hit piece on the bill itself. Go read it if you'd like. It is a parent, like, uh, protection of parents in education bill. It has passed, went through the House, 
went through, got confirmed. The governor signed it. It is a law. It went through the duly elected representation process to land on the governor's desk. It is a legitimately voted on and signed into law law. And now we have a company that has said our mission as a company is to overturn and challenge this law that that came to pass through the traditional mechanism of laws being passed. I'm like, first of all, your mission as a company, Disney, should be different. <laughs> it should be different than overturning a law that came to be in the exact way that laws are come, come to pass. Biden has already come out and he's got his, you know, Department of Education making sure that they can't find any specific way that this is going to be against any sort of civil rights act. So this law is going to continue to be challenged. But Disney specifically, I'm like, come on. Why get in your lane? Why are you doing this? What is the motivation? And then of course we have all of these videos leaked this week of a uh, Zoom meeting with Disney executives talking about their, and I use this quote, not so secret gay agenda, not so secret gay agenda. It's an out front agenda. They want more transgender characters. They want more gay characters. They, as a retaliation against Ron DeSantis, they are now putting into the new movie, Lightyear, which is a, a sequel to Toy Story, they're putting in a lesbian kiss as a retaliation against Ron DeSantis. This is what is happening. What is happening? My goodness gracious. I did a podcast a while ago about a, an outright affronting war on God's truth. That's what I see when I look at things like this. Just an, an affront to God's biblical truth. Just an outward rebellion. Just outward rebellion against God and the truth of the Bible. Your response to a law being passed in one state is to release a movie with a gay kiss. And that is, you're saying it is my retaliation against this law. I, it just befuddles my brain, especially when I think, you know who your main supporter is, Disney World? It's parents. <laughs> it's parents. Why would you take such a strong stance against a parental rights and education law in the state? I, it, it hurts my brain. But it comes down to education and who's in charge and who gets a say. Because we saw in Virginia during the election of the governor there that the radical left thinks that parents should absolutely not have a say. The left is not the party of the parent, right? They think that it, they should have zero say in what their, their kids are learning. They're not their kids to teach. They're not the parents' kids to teach. You are handing your child over to government schools. That's exactly what they are. They are government-funded schools, indoctrination camps, we should think of them that way. We should treat them that way. We have got to stop handing over our children to the government to indoctrinate and then wondering why we have unhappy, suicidal, depressed, unproductive citizens. Those consequences fall on us. We hand over all of the authority and influence and, you know, education to the government. We hand it over to them for 18 years 
and then we get the adult back and then all of the consequences of this this you know adult that's suffering at the hands of the government fall on us right if you're a christian listening to this and your hope is for your child to come out of a, of an indoctrination for their entire life and then be a christian at the end of that we are poorly mistaken. I just want to challenge you guys. We do not pray. You know, when I, when I talk to people about homeschooling, oh, I need to pray about homeschooling. I need to pray about it. Absolutely. You need to pray about homeschooling, but I want to ask, did you pray about putting your kid in public school or is that the default? That is the default. That is the default option. But just yesterday, as God would have it, I was doing a history lesson with my children in homeschool. We were talking about education in early America and how schools even got from where they began to where they are now. And I thought it was so interesting because in the 1600s, the whole goal behind educating their children was so that they could read the Bible. There were no children's books. There was only adult books, and there were very few books as it was. So the Bible was the primary reason children were educated, so that they could understand and read the Bible. Christianity, there is no question, was the foundation upon which education was built in this country. It was built on the premise that God is creator, Christ came and died, the Bible is true, learning to read that is the most important thing we can do. That's, that is the goal of education, is to be just anchored into that. And teachers were expected to model the moral convictions of the community in which they taught. So that would mean that education was not uniform. Education was actually on a local level based on what the community needed their children to know and learn. So if it was a farm community, there would be an emphasis on that. If it was more of a, um, you know, a, a skilled labor community, then that's what you were going to focus on. There was going to be more apprentices, apprenticeship in, in certain categories, in various communities. So the education was flexible and would pivot, but the teacher's goal was not to teach what the government said to teach. The teacher's goal was to model the moral characteristics and skills that were needed in that community. I think that's so interesting. So that the children would come out being able to prosper in their community in the skills of their everyday life. Eventually, there became multiple uh, uh, kids in one schoolhouse. So it used to be that parents and church were absolutely responsible for the education of kids, which is what the Bible says very clearly. So make sure you catch my podcast on homeschooling if you want some more history in that category. But then we they went to hire a teacher and they would have um, several kids in one in a one room school room. It's ironic because I live in Amish country, so this still exists there. There's one teacher for a schoolhouse, and every kid that can walk to that schoolhouse goes to that schoolhouse. And then when it gets too far for kids, then there's another schoolhouse erected and another teacher and those kids walk to the closer schoolhouse, right? So that's, that's how it still is in my community here. I witness it with my eyes. The kids walk to school several miles with their little lunch pails and they go into their one room classroom, just like back in the old days. 
and they're learning about God in there and they're learning about farming and they're learning about skills and how to make a living based on what their family does or what they're, you know, at what value they're bringing to their community. It's just very interesting. All of it always, now we're moving into the early 1800s, was always based on faith in God and Christian principles. In the, in the early 1800s, we started to see the tax-supported public schools emerge, right? And the argument was there's poor families that are not able to provide adequate education, and so there should be some equality, um, or rather equity, right? Equality always exists. Equity is the issue. Equity is, is um, equality of result, right? That was the premise, ironically, of the tax-subsidized or supported public school system, which came to be in a period from about 1825 to 1850. Those public schools were beginning to be erected, and by the end of that period, most communities had a tax-supported public school. Fast forward to 1962 and 1963, there were three decisions that ultimately, you know, as discussed, let's circle back around into the Supreme Court, there were three decisions that came to essentially decide to remove the Bible and prayers from public schools. So about a hundred years later, the very premise, the very foundation for school and education in our country was removed entirely. The whole reason we started education was taken away a hundred years later. The foundation was shifted. And what's it left with? Ideology. I mean, this is not, I'm not trying to express an opinion. When you have a foundation on Christian principles, that's what the whole thing is built. And you take out the entire foundation and you do not even allow for any public school to have the foundation of a of a public school that that's the reason public school existed was to was to uh, teach the foundations of of faith in God and Christian principles when that is removed all you have left are people's opinions there is no firm foundation this is when truth becomes whatever somebody thinks it is whatever somebody tells you it is whatever somebody can convince you that it is so in the 1960s now we have a foundationless school that is at the whim of the government. So in uh, the 1850s, we have established public schools that are tax-supported, meaning government-funded public schools in the by 1850s. We have that. In 1914, the United States Office of Education published a bulletin that said the public schools, this is a quote, the public schools exist primarily for the benefit of the state rather than for the benefit of the individual. This is the U.S. Bureau of Education Bulletin in 1914, number two bullet point. The benefit, the primary benefit of, of the state rather than the benefit of the individual. That is the purpose of public schools. That was in 1914, you guys. So if you wonder... If in 1960, the reason for eliminating faith in God and prayer from our public school system had anything at all to do with an agenda, uh, I think we can say yes. Because in 1914, we had already decided the primary benefit of public school is for the state, not for the individual. And we cannot 
again, moving back to authoritarianism, these things are all connected. We cannot have a faith in God if the highest authority of the land has to be the government. You have to remove a faith in God. This is a long-term plan of the enemy unfolding before our eyes. And it's slow because it has to go over generations. Just like Israel, if if the parents did not teach the children what God had done in their lives, the children did not follow God. It's one generation, then another generation, then you're in full-on idol worship, worshiping all kinds of other things, not the one true God, and nobody even remembers what the one true God stood for. That the whole reason you're learning, the whole reason you're sitting in school is because the foundation of you sitting in a classroom was based on you learning about God. That's entirely gone. That's entirely gone today. It's just so shocking to me that this, like, you can literally see the enemy's plan unfolding. This is why history is so important. This is why we learn these things. And speaking about history, gosh, I'm going to wrap up with this because I could do a whole podcast on the food shortages that are coming and on the inflation because, you guys, this is freaking biblical. It is not just random happenstance. These things are are happening for a reason and they were foretold in the book of revelation okay specifically wheat specifically famine specifically inflation is mentioned in revelation you guys in 6 6 this is the verse revelation 6 6 in the niv translation then i heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. This is referencing shortages of food, famine. This is in the third seal. So there's a series, there's three series of judgments in Revelation. There's the the horsemen, right? There's the uh, seals and there's the bowl judgments. So, and each are seven seven judgments it's all this all this numerology and all kinds of stuff and we don't actually know the timeline but we do know the cues and here's a cue this is a cue you guys joseph in genesis back at the beginning of the bible stored up wheat specifically against the famine that god had warned him of so it's very interesting that we're seeing a specifically a wheat shortage because of the russia and ukraine conflict maybe it's because of the russia and the ukraine conflict Maybe it's because it was prophesied by God to happen, right? Either way, he is sovereign over it. He has a plan for it. But this is not a coincidence. This is not a coincidence. It is another thing we need to be paying attention the, paying attention to. The Bible says that we need to watch. We need to stay alert and pay attention to the signs. Christians, we cannot be passive. We cannot be passive in our in our lives, in our faith. We should be talking about our faith. We should be evangelizing for sure. We should be alerting people to what's coming. We should be awakening our church, awakening fellow believers to what is happening in the world. It is lovely to be an ostrich. I used to be an ostrich. It's happy, happy land, happy-ish land to be an ostrich and bury your head in the sand and not pay close attention and not care and say, I don't understand it. And I don't, it's too upsetting. It gets me too stressed out. I understand all that. Trust me, but we can't do that. That's not our call. That's not our call. (laughs) God calls us to watch, to pay attention, to be alert. 
to look. This is the time we're seeing the signs. Do I think we're in end times? It says in after this verse, it's talking about these are the beginnings of sorrow. Not we're not in the end times. These are the grow the uh, labor pains, right? So it means it's the setup. It's the setup for end times, right? We're not in end times. It's the setup for end times. I believe in early rapture, if you know what that means. So we're not there yet, guys. <laughs> but it is very interesting. It is very interesting. And we can't be passive in our lives, you guys. We can't marry, intermarry with the Canaanites. We can't link up with idol worshipers. We can't be uh, assimilated in a culture that goes, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but like, I still love Disney World. So blah, blah, blah. Like we cannot assimilate with culture. God is countercultural, And I believe he is calling his church to stand in opposition to these things, stand in opposition to the things that are clearly in rebellion against God. Oh man, I feel it in my core. And I see so many Christians that I love and trust just turning a blind's eye or knowing it and walking straight into alignment with that rebellion. And it's sad. And trust me, I mourn it and I hope it shifts. I hope Disney changes their stance. I hope that there's a transformation and a coming to Jesus in that company so that I can someday go back to Disney. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking to see the things that we love of the world fall away. But this is not our home. This is, we are just passing through. Our home is eternity where we don't have to deal with any of these things. And by goodness gracious, I am so glad we have such a merciful and grace-filled God that no matter how much we love the world, he forgives it when we repent of it, right? He is there to cover our love of the world. But man, do we love the world right now. Man, are we clinging to the world. Man, are we not, not taking steps to be prepared Gosh, I'm, I'm taking steps to not just prepare myself for the food, shortage, food shortages that are coming. Biden even says food shortages are real. And it's basically your new virtue signal for anybody who cares. This is your new virtue signal. It's because we're supporting Ukraine, guys. So basically suck it up. This is how you support Ukraine. You, sar- you starve. <laughs> you go without so that we can, you know, virtue signal and be in support of Ukraine, not even knowing anything about the conflict. Just... You know, we're not going to have wheat. Gas prices are going to be through the roof. Not to mention fertilizer shortages coming from Russia, which means we can't plant. Not to mention diesel prices being through the roof, which is going to make everything that gets shipped to your grocery store, which is everything, way more expensive. Inflation has only just begun. It has only just begun. They're not even saying it's tapering. They're not even saying we're at the, the ceiling of it. Can you feed your family? Can you feed your neighbors? Can you feed any other person in your church? Can you feed who's in need? You guys, this is the call of the Christian. This is the call of Joseph, right? Don't just provide for yourself, but be able to provide for the family you don't even need. You don't even know you're going to need to provide for. And for all the area, the whole lands all surrounding, you can be a Joseph in this time, or you can be the begging brother, but that's our call. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate this podcast and tell all your friends. And of course, catch me over at gainingmyperspective.com. Father God, continue to give us clarity on what it is you would have us do in this time. How can we stand for your truth 
and stand against just the open rebellion against your word right now, Lord? How, how can we as Christians or as um, searchers in the faith stand more firmly? What would you have us do? Lord, I just pray that Holy Spirit convicts each and every person hearing these words to know clearly what it is you're calling them to what it is you'd have them pay attention to, what it is you'd have them put down, what it is you'd have them prepare for, Lord. Just make it known to us, make it clear to us. In your son's name, we ask these things. Amen.